Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. You know what I mean? It just doesn't compute, you know? The law is the law. Peter, this is in our hands. I mean, it really is. People were there. We will continue to raise our voices. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Very uh, shocked to hear last night through the council meeting of the passing of a man called... Tony Power. Now, the name might not mean a whole lot to you, but to anyone who ever had any contact with council or worked in City Hall or attended council meetings or got involved in the Cork City Marathon, any kind of an event that the City Hall was involved in or any kind of a social inclusion element of Cork City Council or any community project involved with uh, the uh, Cork City Council uh, Tony Power would have been part and parcel of it I haven't seen Tony for a very long time since I'm not in and out of council uh, half as often as I used to be not a quarter as often as I used to be in the old days but uh, Tony Power was a nice fella and very uh, sorry and sad to hear of his untimely passing and indeed the meeting of the council the virtual meeting of council was suspended last evening as a mark of respect and also it was raised at that meeting uh, there was condolences expressed to councillor tony fitzgerald on the passing of his dad tom and i often remember speaking with tony about things like the importance of family when he was lord mayor and things like that and he always spoke with great love and affection and indeed with great emotion about his dad tom and uh, sorry to hear of tom's passing so condolences to all who knew tom fitzgerald and indeed to all who knew uh, Tony Power. Good morning to you. 1850-715-996. Serious question out there this morning. Could we be on the verge of an ambulance strike? Now, what's going on in the ambulance service at the moment is not new. And I'll go through that in just a moment with the SIP2 organiser for the National Ambulance Service. But for years now, Paramedics and ambulance crew have been complaining about the length of their shift, about being sent to the four corners of the country by, by dispatchers who don't seem to have a clue that Castletown Bear is a fair old distance from Middleton. They don't seem to know. And the unions have been kicking up about this for years, seemingly to no avail. And it's come to a head again now after an incident in which a, a, a crew was sent um, from Castletown Bear to Waterford. Ted Kenny is the uh, national uh, director, the national organiser for the ambulance service in SIPTU and he joins me. Ted, good morning to you. Good morning PJ, how are you doing? Good. You and I are no strangers to talking about this. This is not new. It's not. 
sadly it's not and it has been going on now for quite some time but I think that it actually came to a head I suppose over the last 15, 16 months during the, the COVID pandemic mm. whereby um, where crews are being crisscrossing the country um, and shifts are being extended I mean 12 hour shifts can run into 14, 15, 16, 17 hour shifts the difficulties are for our crew members, paramedic members to get uh, break times they might be waiting six, seven, eight hours to, to, to get a break. And that's causing a lot of um, stress for a membership on the road. It's, call, it's causing burnout, to be quite honest. National Ambulance Service always relied on um, the goodwill of our, our membership uh, to come in on their rest days if, if they were needed and work overtime to cover shifts. And because of the burnout, they're not, they're not available and therefore shifts are dropping. So there's a number of factors in all of this, right? and I, I, I don't blame the dispatchers in Dublin um, or in Valley Shannon. Mm. The two I was just about to ask you the question, Ted, and, and for the benefit of, of listeners who might be unfamiliar, how, how does it happen that an ambulance crew can be sent from Castleton Bear to South to Waterford, and how can it happen that a crew in County Tipperary can be sent to an incident near the Aran Islands? Now that doesn't make a blind bit of sense. It doesn't. You see, you have to look back at that, we say, in the last 10 years, we had regional control centres. There was one in Cork, one in Kerry, and one in Wexford, right, covered the south. So we had three control centres, all staffed by local people who had local knowledge of all the areas. National Ambulance Service decided a number of years ago that they were going to centralise the control centres. So what happened, and because the heat was standard in that, if a call comes in any part of the country, in the control centres in Dublin, and it's no fault, it's the, it's the system is strong and not the people who are actually walking in those centres, that they will dispatch the next available ambulance. And if the next available ambulance for a call in Waterford and they look on their screen and the next available ambulance between Waterford and Castletown Bear in this instance is the Castletown Bear crew that will be sent. Now, but Ted, I, I get it that you're, you're not blaming the personnel involved and, and of course you're not, but where does it make sense in anybody's mind and do they not realise that Castletown Bear and Waterford are like they're, they're half a country away from each other? Surely someone decides, hang on, that's the ambulance that's coming up on the blip, but that damn ambulance is 100 miles away. You see, it's all got to do with what's the available resource in an area, right? And this is wide ranging, to be quite honest, PJ. I mean, there has to be a big overhaul of it. I mean, you have GPs ringing for ambulances, as I call walking wounded that could be put into a car or could walk to an a &E. Yeah. And the general public has to realise as well, by, get, by, by calling an ambulance to transfer a patient into um, a &E does not necessarily mean that that patient is going to be seen any quicker by arriving in an ambulance as opposed to coming in by car or coming and walking in the front door of a &E. mm. And that's something that we have to get out there. I mean, there's ambulance crews. I mean, if you look at it, right, we brought in an ICO service number of years back. What's that? And the ICO service was there to do, we'll say, routine work. Mm. Sorry, what's, what's that? Intimate, intimate, intimate care um, vehicles. Okay. Right? So they would do the routine inter-hospital transfers, non-emergency work. Yeah. But what has happened over the last number of years is that ICOs have been successful in applying to become paramedics and they haven't been backfilled. So there's a shortage of ICO intermediate care personnel on the ground. And then routine transfers 
um, fall back, those calls fall back on the frontline animals. Yeah. And, that, and, and they are the issues. And we have to, uh, thankfully, we have a meeting with management on the 15th on Thursday to go through these issues that are of serious concern and see can we put something in place. Now, there's already an unofficial strike, I understand, in Waterford. And is it likely that we could have an unofficial strike in Cork? And if we did, what shape or what form would it take? Uh, could we have people left without ambulance service? Well, in relation to the unofficial action, SIP2 is not part of any unofficial action at this point in time. Yeah. Right? It's our sister union in Waterford. And I believe there's actually been a rollback in that. I'm led to believe that may not be continuing at the moment. Okay. Um, it is not SIPQ's position um, at this point in time to um, have any um, vote or ballot for industrial action. Okay. We want to enter by dialogue. I mean, we want to reassure the, the public that the paramedics that are on duty in Cork City will mm. give 100% to, to their role. And they've always done it. Mind always you, Ted, you know, and I'm not... I, I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, lessening the importance of the uh, industrial relations procedure and, and as a union official you'll follow it to the letter and I know you will yes. but but the first couple of people who brought this mess to my attention a number of years back have now retired that this isn't today nor yesterday's problem it's not but like I said it has been exacerbated during the, the, the COVID pandemic and there has been a, there is a shortage of staff for international themselves um, at this point in time um, I mean I suppose when they were the Irish government and the people in Ireland were facing with the pandemic, a lot of people had to step up to the place. And the National Animal Service stepped up to the place during the COVID pandemic where they gave uh, people to help out in swabbing, help out in vaccinations and all that. Mm. Now, thankfully in the South, all of those people have been brought back to try and alleviate the problem in relation to the dropping of shifts within Cox City and County. And, and everything is being done. I mean, we had last weekend, the weekend before, we had actually ambulance officers um, operating in frontline uh, ambulances to keep the show on the road, to yeah. be quite honest. Oh, listen, no, no one, and let's, let's be very clear here. Uh, I think w- within the health services, probably the two groups of people for whom the general public have the most regard are nurses on the front line and ambulance staff because the paramedics and the ambulance staff that go out at the weekend they're the ones that end up covered in blood and bodily fluids they're the ones that end up getting attacked they're the ones that end up at the front line in, in, in the early hours of the morning anywhere in the country and they're the ones for whom people have huge sympathy and that's correct and, uh, at the end of the day the paramedics have an enormous uh, I suppose um, have support for the, for the community because don't forget these ambulance paramedics all live in Cork yeah. the majority, they're all from the local areas they're known in their local communities and they provide a service and they want to provide a service they don't want any member of their community to be without an ambulance and they strive on a daily mm-hmm. basis um, to try and achieve that and there's great credit going to the Amnesty Service in this country and, and the personnel yeah. uh, in place. There's just not so done for them. The other advantage or disadvantage, of course, of this is, and again, let's, let's take a very local example. Uh, there's an incident in, for argument's sake, uh, Dingle. And it just so happens that the closest available ambulance is somewhere in County Cork. That ambulance goes to Dingle under the dispatch system. But then 
the next thing that happens is as that's headed off down the road to den- to tend to its issue in Dingle, there's a problem in Cork. Where does the next ambulance come from to deal with that? It, it all depends where the next available resource. And, and that, could be, that, that could be in, in, in County Mead, for argument's sake. It could be. It could be. It could be. Yeah. It's a system that is, I, I'll be honest here, it's a draconian system, to be quite honest. It's not fit for purpose. And yeah. it has to be changed. And the only way it's going to change is that, that we need management within the control centres, dispatchers within the control centres, shop stewards on the ground and chiefs on the ground and officers on the ground with senior management within the National Ambulance Service on a Zoom call or on a, a physical meeting and trash this out for once and for all and put a stop to this lunacy okay. of what is going on. Just lastly, Ted, I guess what hasn't made it, and you said it's gotten worse in the last 16 months, just like everything else has gotten worse. Has, has COVID, I imagine COVID hasn't helped at all. COVID hasn't helped on the basis. I mean, you, you said it there um, earlier that the paramedics are out on the front line, right? And the public are great. You, you have to look at it on the basis of that when COVID came in, an awful lot of paramedics in this country contacted COVID, right? They were the first people into houses, transferring, uh, transporting patients with COVID into the A&Es, Linton, the rest of the country. So we were down staff. We have staff off at the moment with long COVID. We have staff out on sick leave. We have staff that's out on, um, we say they haven't been replaced. Staff who moved on from the service haven't been replaced. And these are all serious issues that we need to address and we need to address quickly. And I have given the, the, the commitment. I'm sector organiser now for the Amnesty Service and I only took up the role last week. And I'm doing an awful lot of work with senior management behind the scenes to try and resolve this issue. And I'm hoping on the 15th and that we will have serious and, and, and worthwhile negotiations mm. uh, to resolve the issues. That's this Thursday, isn't it? That's correct. Could could we speak again on Friday, Ted? See, are you happy? I probably can. You can speak to me. I don't know. Whatever would be happy in, in, in that shot. Well, we, maybe, maybe, we could, maybe we could speak on Friday and see how things are going. I have no problem with that, Peter. All no right. Okay. Ted, thank you very much for that. That's Ted Kenny uh, of the SIP2 Union. He's their National Ambulance Service organiser. And this problem... It's not today, it's not yesterday. I can remember visiting the home of a friend who is now retired from the service and he laid all this out on paper for me as to what the pushing of the pieces around the block... Fella's been sent 80, 90 miles. He did that on his kitchen table for me over coffee and biscuits and it's not yesterday, it's not five years ago, it's more than ten years ago. This is going on since forever in fact, it just seen uh, seven years ago. I lost my husband because we had to wait for an ambulance to come from Fermoy to Passage. Unfortunately, they were too late, and I'm sorry to hear that. And the night that my own dad passed away back in January of 2018. Now I should say, what we now know afterwards, unfortunately, was that there was no saving dad that night. But the ambulance that came and the two brilliant lads in it and I will be forever grateful to them as will my family grateful to them for the care they showed my dad that night but they had come to our house in Barrenlock from Dungarvan that'll tell you 1850 715 996 Can we just talk 
the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. I'm here to fly you through your afternoon in Cork with all your favourite tunes from the biggest names and you know I'm good for unreal prizes. Fabulous, thank you so much. Would you like a new iPad? <laughs> yes please, thank you. So if you're in the car, at work or just need something to help the day go by, make sure you join me. Oh my God, I remember watching that. Yeah, those Disney classics like The Little Mermaid. <laughs> Under the sea. <laughs> <laughs> Simon Murdoch, midday to 4 p.m. on Cork's 96 FM. I had pains in my chest. I had to wait three hours for paramedics to come from Killarney to my house in Middleton. And then when I was in CUH, they had to wait with me until half four in the morning. CUH staff were able to take me then, so they were out of service until the hospital was able to see me. And they also had to trek back to Killarney. They were great dealing with me, but they shouldn't have had to go all the way to Middleton. No, indeed, they should not call her. And that has been going on for a very, very long time. So you could have an ambulance, whichever way it bleeps on the system. So you call 999. You want an ambulance. It, you give your location. And the system bleeps and says, right, there's the nearest ambulance. We'll call it Unit 5. Unit 5 is the nearest to you according to your location. It bleeps on the map. Unit 5 could be 100 miles away from you. They don't know that. It just goes 100 miles. And it could also just as easily be 500 yards away. It just happens to see to, to which one comes up on the dispatch map as to who's available and where they are. It's, it's an ancient system. And it's leading to the kind of things a fellow's been dispatched from Castletown Bear to go to Waterford or people being sent from Tipperary to the Aran Islands. It's, it's bonkers is what it is. And the unions have been trying to sort it for years and they don't seem to be getting anywhere with it. Someone was asking why it is a thing that we can't do what we used to do, which was have an ambulance in every fire station. They have that in Dublin and loads of their firefighters are actually trained paramedics. They have it in Dublin. We used to have it in Cork. I can remember a fire brigade ambulance, a big red ambulance inside in the old fire station in town. But it's not there anymore. It hasn't been there for, for a very long time. 1850-715-996. This may have gone past you this morning, but maybe not. 500 days ago today, 500 days ago on this very day, which is the, what is it, the 13th of July, the first case of COVID-19 was confirmed in Ireland. Since then, there have been 278,464 cases and sadly, 600 more yesterday, and sadly, 5,006 confirmed deaths related to COVID-19. And our thoughts are first and foremost with the family and loved ones of everyone of those 5,006 people. On the brighter side, it's expected that in the next week, the 5 millionth dose of a vaccine will be administered. We're around 57% of the population now fully vaccinated. We still have gaps where vulnerable people haven't yet got their second vaccine. But if you to believe what you read and see... They're flying through them, getting a lot of people actually contacting us in the last few days to say, look, I'm, I've got my 
date for my second vaccine and I'm delighted with it. Also this morning in the post and if anyone's got their letter yet, let us know. Has anyone got a letter yet with their vaccine pass in it? Whether or not you're going to use it, whether or not you approve of using it, whether or not you think it's this, that or the other, I don't care, right? I just want to know, is there anybody listening to me right now who's gotten their vaccine pass in the post this morning? Speaking of vaccines, there is a lot of nonsense and much of it very dangerous nonsense on the internet and in particular social media about vaccines. And I have in my hand a very, very easy to read document. It's only about 14 pages put together by the Royal Irish Academy. And the authors of that include one of our regular guests on the programme. And the idea is to give people the solid, reliable science on vaccines and to stop them going to social media and stop them going to crackpot websites where they'll find an awful lot of nonsense on vaccines. And one of the authors of that report, well, it's just an updated version of an older report, is Professor Kingston Mills. And I will speak with him next. 1850 715 996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With dairy made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96FM. Professor Kingston Mills, to be fair, we don't seem to have a lot of vaccine hesitancy in Ireland. But what's out there isn't helping. Um, yeah, I mean, with, in, in relation to COVID vaccines, I think the uptake is very good. So th- there's there's not much hesitancy there. I think in the last few years, there have been some issues, especially about the HPV, the human papillomavirus vaccine, the vaccines designed to prevent um, cervical cancer, mm. the human papillomavirus. And there, the uptake went down considerably you know, around 55% in young women, and that wouldn't be enough to, you know, protect the community. So I think what turned that around was um, outspoken comments from a person who has cervical cancer themselves, and they went on the media and made a strong case for vaccination, and that that really got people very much aware of the benefits of vaccination, and then the uptake increased again and and was back to, you know, high levels, 85-90%. We unfortunately live in a world where anybody can get online and say anything they like, and it must be very difficult to combat that. Yeah, that's the problem. I, I, to be honest, I don't try to combat stuff that's online. I, I, I t- tend to ignore it, to be honest, because you, you, it's very difficult to, to counter it. Um, I, I, I stick with reading and talking about uh, the literature that's you know proven to be scientifically validated. So it's published in a peer-reviewed journal. And that's my source of information uh, in relation to vaccines. I tend to not pay too much attention to what's on social media or even on non-registered sort of registered websites that are 
set up specifically to put out information that may not be mainstream mm. um, and backed up by, you know, for example, clinical trials. I mean, clinical trials are the essence of how we test medicines and vaccines. And if it's proven to be effective and safe in clinical trials, that's the criteria by which regulatory agency approve these uh, drugs or medicines. And that's the, the tried and tested method that every country uses to ensure that the vaccines are as effective and safe as possible. You and I have spoken about vaccines many times in the last few months. Would you mind if I put just one or two of the things that are out there with regard to the COVID vaccines and maybe you'd address them? One of them is this idea that nothing is finished with these vaccines and they're not even ready properly until 2023 and we're all part of a big trial. Is that nonsense? Well, I mean, it it, it is true that they were um, approved under emergency use. So... Mm. Now, they had been tested, and so don't get me wrong, they were very stringently tested in, in phase three efficacy trials, most of which would have 20 to 40,000 volunteers that would volunteer to get the vaccine, and then they were followed very closely for side effects. And the basis of the data from those clinical trials was what was used by the European Medicines Agency in Europe, the um, Medical Regulatory Authority in the UK, or the FDA the federal uh, drug um, uh, authority in the US to, to license these vaccines. Now, they were licensed under what's called emergency use. So that, that was really to do with them, licensing them as quickly as possible because people wanted to get these vaccines into people, not, under, not surprisingly. <clears throat> Since then, the companies have gone back and they're now looking for full approval for mm. these vaccines. So they would be in a way that wouldn't be a rushed um, approval. When I say rushed, it was expedited is probably a better word than rushed. The term emergency suggests rush, but that's not the case. No, it's not. I mean, they were they were expedited because of the emergency situation and the fact that there was a vaccine. There were vaccines that were so effective, and the phase three trials showed that there were between anything between ninety five down in terms of efficacy, and that's unbelievably high efficacy. So they had to be got out and into people as quickly as possible. And we only see now the huge benefits. I mean, COVID nineteen in this country is now almost controlled in the in the older population in terms of um, hospitalizations. There are still a number of cases and some of those are breakthroughs. Some are for people who haven't been vaccinated, but most of the cases in Ireland now at COVID-19 are in the younger population, not all but most. Mm. And that's a direct result of the benefits of vaccination. Now, one thing that we will have to contend with soon enough is is vaccinating the youngest cohort because that's the only way at least I think it's the only way, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, that we'll reach proper scientific herd immunity. We are going to have to consider vaccines for children. Um, yeah, I think most countries are looking at this. In fact, the US have already started. And in Ireland, there are some children that would already have been vaccinated with underlying medical conditions under emergency use of the, of the vaccines. So I think what we'll see is in Europe, the European medicines agencies will license um, most of the vaccines that are out there for COVID that are already being used for adults mm. for, for use in certainly 12 to 18 year olds initially. And they're already doing clinical trials in younger cohorts than 12 year olds as well. Because interestingly, if you look at the data on the numbers of cases of COVID-19 in Ireland, the, the highest percentage is in the 18 to 24 year age group, but the next highest 
is either the 24th to 30 or the the 12 to 18. So there's a significant numbers of cases in 12 to 18 year old. Now these people, these young adults or adolescents don't get serious disease. They don't get COVID-19 that will make them end up in hospital by and large. Um, but they can get, you know, symptoms and they can have long-term effects, this mm. long COVID, which is not restricted to older people. So there's a, there is pressing need to vaccinate um, adolescents as well as, as adults. Would you consider eventually we'll have to take it down to the school children, perhaps? Um, that's more controversial, I think. And I think that... Um, you know, people might be a bit anxious about vaccinating children under 12, but you have to remember that children two, four and six months of age get a seven or eight in one vaccine right now that pre- prevents seven or eight very serious infectious disease. So it's, it's, there's nothing new about vaccinating mm. children that is as, as young as, as a few months old. And, you know, all of these vaccines are tested Mm. Um, and have been tested in phase three clinical trials in the, in those age cohorts. Like for the benefit of parents who would be listening and maybe to address the concerns that they might have, let's imagine I have a vaccine that I know it works. Let us take Pfizer-BioNTech. We, we know it works and works well. So if I want to see is that suitable for, say, small children, four, five and six-year-olds in primary school, how do I go about that? What, what, what am I taking into account when I'm testing that? Well, you know, the way they do it is they look, um, they, they give the vaccine to, or a placebo, or a control vaccine, to a number of children or you know, subjects. You know, you're talking here about thousands, you're not talking about, you know, t- a dozen or a hundred, mm. thousands of volunteers. And then they, they, they look over the next 24 hours very carefully for any signs of fevers or headaches and then for a longer period for other signs that might be associated with the vaccine and then those are all recorded and they look at the the appearance of those events in the placebo group the group that got the the, the dummy vaccine and the ones that got the vaccine and they look and see if there's any increase in signal and sometimes you will see that there will be mild reactions like injection site reaction or a mild fever mm. or a headache for example something that that is often recorded with the covid vaccines and these are you know transient they go away after 24 hours um, then you had the more serious ones like the blood clotting issues associated with the, the adenovirus vectored vaccines. Mm. But these are quite rare, one in a million in the case of the, the Johnson Johnson and one in 100,000 case of the AstraZeneca. So, so those were more, more serious side effects. And that resulted in the regulatory agencies putting a warning label on the product information leaflet to, to warn people there's a possibility that these side effects and these were the, the risks were whatever, one in a one hundred thousand or one in a million. Now, this is something close to my own heart personally, Kingston, in that my son is on the spectrum. And, and I remember the time when some misguided effort was made to convince us that the MMR vaccine caused autism. We know it doesn't. We know it never did. But that myth is still around today. People still believe that, don't they? Well, that's the trouble. I mean, that that's what happened. I mean, that became, you know, the publicity was always bad publicity for the vaccine because was an, there was an assumption that there might be some um, you know, truth in what had, had been said, and and people chose to to believe 
um, the initial um, study, rather than looking at the larger information that came out later that, that contradicted it. Um, and of course, um, some proponents of um, the theory still, you know, peddle that idea and um, that, that's that been the problem. And, and some groups have, have been pushing the, the, the sentiment that, that the vaccines are associated with autism, but but it's, it was disproved, and um, I think you know we hope that is put to bed, and that, that the MMR vaccine uptake now in Ireland and other European countries is very high. It, it is it is back up. To be fair, we we know we, we we know that. But what I'm getting at is the legacy of how these things get out there, and people people believe them. And I suppose in the current context of the COVID vaccines, and like you said, you don't engage with us on social media, but a lot of parents do and there's an awful lot of absolute nonsense out there so how do we filter the truth professor ordinary individuals ordinary lay people who don't necessarily have access to scientific papers how do we filter what's true and what's not I would say to people to, to, you know, take with a pinch of salt what you read on social media platforms and, you know, go for the more reliable source of information. For example, every health uh, body in, in, in the world, they're, they're, they have websites. And a very good one is the CDC in Atlanta, Centre for Disease Control, the, the NHS in the, in, in, in the UK, the HSE here. Um, all these bodies have information on the risks and benefits of vaccination. And if you think that they're biased, you could go for a more, you know, sort of unbiased source of information. And that's why we wrote the article. The Royal Irish Academy is a completely independent body that um, um, is there to provide, uh, you know, support and information for the public as much as everyone else. And that's why we wrote that article about mm. vaccines. Mm. It's a, it's a, um, it was written about three years ago. But it was updated now and released again because of COVID-19 vaccines. And we felt it was timely to do that now. So we tried to write it in a, in a, a reasonably lay language. And we explained things reasonably well, I think, as we go along. Mm. Uh, lastly, and I'm asking most of our regular guests this, Professor Mills, do you think we're near the end in an Irish context? Now, I know globally we're... W- as, as Mike Ryan says, globally, we're nowhere near the end of this. But in an Irish context, are we near the end? I'm very optimistic. I mean, I think the vaccines have done a fantastic job. And once we have all the adults vaccinated, I think the numbers of hospitalizations is going to remain low. I mean, there's it's creeping up ever so slightly in the last couple of weeks, but the numbers are still very small. I mean, they reckon now the... The, the hospitalization is 10 times less in in Europe in general compared with the last peak. So the, the cases are there still and the numbers are worryingly high in countries like the UK and indeed Ireland on the basis of population. Our numbers are fourth or fifth worse in Europe, but our number of patients in hospitals is, is, is quite low. So I'm optimistic that when we have all the adults vaccinated, and unless we see another variant, and that's the big worry, mm. that another variant might emerge. Now, the companies have done a fantastic job, it has to be said, backed up by all the science that went into, into their development of producing vaccines so quickly and so effectively. And now they're working hard on, and they really have, in fact, have already produced it, a new version of the vaccine, which is designed specifically to, to prevent infection with the Delta variant. They've, they've gone to the regulatory agencies for permission to put these into to new trials. 
and I anticipate those trials will be completed in a few months if mm. they get permission, which I'm sure they will, because it's just a changed version of the vaccine. It's not a new vaccine per se. It's just a, the strain of the virus that it's coding for is slightly different. Do, do you anticipate boosters? Boosters, yeah. Boosters is what we're going to be looking at, I think. You know, it could be, you know, early next year. You know, some countries are saying that in the UK have said they're talking about boosters in the late autumn. I think that's a bit early myself. But, you know, if the companies do as well a job as they did already, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. Finally, where could one access a copy of, of your paper for, for us all to yeah, read? Yeah, the Royal Irish Academy, if you go to the website, the Royal Irish Academy, and put in um, vaccine into Google, put in Royal Irish Academy vaccine statement, it'll come up and it's, it should be freely available there for any of the public who want to read it. All right. Good to speak to you, as always, Professor Mills. Thank you. Professor Kingston Mills uh, from Trinity College, Professor of Experimental Immunology, speaking to me last evening. I did just that this morning. I will share it later in the day. I'll put it up on our social media, a link to it. It's only 14 pages. It's very, very easy to read. 1850-715-996. PJ, I'm the wife of a paramedic. The stories he tells me, literally, it's like staff in the control room that dispatch the ambulances have no clue about Ireland's Geography and Ted Kenny said that's not their fault. That's just how the system works. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Could we cast our minds back to May for a moment, and to Radiothon, and to a moment in Radiothon that hit us all in the chest, and we were sitting listening to the interview the first time it ran, and then afterwards, it, my God, did did that really happen? And was that really the story? And it was just one of those Radiothon moments that settles in your memory. There's one every year. This was the Radiothon moment of 2021. He passed away on a Saturday when I got up. My mom was like, look, the, the nurses are going to come in a minute. You know, things aren't great. Before he passed, he kept scrolling, but he didn't have a phone. You know, he was just like scrolling in his hand, like as if he was on the phone. My younger brother was like, there's something about the phone, you know. So he checked his phone. He doesn't know why, but he checked the notes app on his phone from the day that he went for the test to see if he could get any more treatment. It was that date. And he'd written, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. And we were like, that's a sign for us. That's incredible. Yeah. Chloe Brown, good morning. Hi. Uh, that was the, the moment of Radiothon for us this year. Um, it's it's hard to listen back, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, I got a bit of a shock hearing myself there. <laughs> <laughs> so Ian passed away when? January, wasn't it? January, yeah, it will be six months on this Friday. It was the 16th of January. Okay, okay. Well, our condolences again, obviously. But a little charity effort that he set up is just gone crackers. Yeah, he would be delighted. Tell me about it. Um, well, for his birthday back in December, he had organised a birthday fundraiser and he raised, I think it was €4,000 himself. And then when he passed in January, we decided we wanted to do something. So in February, my whole family, I think there was like, God, there was about 18 or 19 of us in total, did, um, we said we'd walk 300,000 steps each and give all the money that we raised to the Mercy. So initially we thought, oh, if we raised like, like even 2000 whatever that it would be brilliant you know because Ian had wanted to um to raise enough money to for a chemo chair in St Teresa's ward because he would have got treatment there yeah um and that was there 3000 so we were like you know even if we got enough that he could have one and then like 
between the two um, fundraisers if they could get two. But we actually raised, I think it was 24,500 euros. <laughs> <laughs> we shocked ourselves. <laughs> That's eight chairs. Yeah. So he has two now. There's two up there that they... That they're called Ian's chairs. They have plaques and everything for Ian. I saw that. It's lovely. Um, so we got to go and see them and everything. Like It was brilliant. And then the rest of the money, they're going to... There'll be counselling sessions and so much help for people. He would be absolutely thrilled with it. But how many steps have been walked, Chloe? Oh, God, I can't remember now. It was like 8 million or something. <laughs> something crazy. <laughs> That's nearly a lap of the world. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Wow, wow. Six months Friday. Um, Six months Friday, yeah. So yeah. Denied, yeah. yeah, and he battled it so hard. I remember we, you and I talked before Radiothon. He, he, yeah, he battled it yeah. so hard. Yeah, it would be it would be this one now, three years ago, that he would have first got sick, and initially it was only they had only given him three months, and so he gave it everything. Like he was, he was brilliant. He was still going on holidays. He was still going on stags. Everything. He was having a great time. Yeah, isn't that a motto in life too? That 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 note that was on his phone. Absolutely, yeah. We actually all got it tattooed on us there last week. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Smile because it happened, yeah. yeah. He was a special fella. Tell me a bit about him, Chloe. Oh, he was great. Like, he was, you know what? He was such a serious person, we thought, until now we're hearing stories. And we're like, God, he was a bit mad. Like, <laughs> he, he was so funny and he had so many friends and everything. Like, he really, I know they say, like, you know, the good people go, but really, Ian was just, brilliant and he never he was never like why me he was always like like why not me like you know he yeah. just he was well able to fight it and that's he an did incredible philosophy why not me yeah. what will you do Friday how will you remember him um, I think we're just gonna we're gonna go obviously to the grave and stuff there's a, he played pitch and putt he loves pitch and putt so there's a bench in the pitch and putt club in Ballincollig where we're from so I think we'll go down and sit with him for a while ok alright well tell, tell him I said hello I will. <laughs> Cheers, Chloe. Thank you very much for being with us again. That's Chloe Brown, sister of Ian, who passed away in January of this year. Eight million steps they've done. 24, nearly 25,000 euro for the mercy. Totally separate of the absolute thousands that the story brought in for Radiothon. Every time that we played that interview and every time that little piece of wisdom came out, the phones just went ballistic with people donating to Radiothon. So nice to check in with the Brown family again. And uh, six months Friday uh, since Ian passed away. And not only two chemotherapy chairs, but a rake of counselling and a rake of other facilities generated in his memory. The eight million steps for Ian. What can you say? And take that as... There's many mottos in life. I have my own one which I keep giving people... You know, if it's everything will be okay in the end, and if it's not okay, it's not the end. But I think that's an absolute stormer of one. Write that down and remember it. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. 
Big Drive Home, weekdays from four. On Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Make sure you're with me every weekday on the Big Drive Home for the latest Love Island lowdown, plus the behind the scenes too. I thought before I went in there that you all pretended to do your own hair and makeup. On the first night, I was very shocked that this happened. I was like, oh, we had to do our own hair and makeup. I've got your Cork traffic updates, the biggest prizes, and you choose the music on the takeover. For that and lots more, I'll talk to you weekdays from four. The Big Drive Home. Let's talk business with Ford Lease. Hassle-free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more. The Big Drive Home. On Cork's 96FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Winnie got her COVID vaccination cert in the post and says she'll use it if necessary. Trace got her second AstraZeneca jab last week and today COVID pass came in the post. Someone else wants to mention that only people who had their jab in a centre or a pharmacy will get the automatic pass. People who got it in GPs should contact their GP. We might clarify that at some point uh, do a little bit more work on it but I think there is that distinction. You kind of do have to contact your, your GP. Kate, you got yours this morning, did you? Good morning. Oh, good morning. Yes, the sun is shining. The search is in the in the inbox. Yeah, it's good morning, isn't it? It just arrived in my email, did it? Yes, it did. I was listening to you and you were saying, gosh, they were starting to roll them out and it's like you willed it on me. And there, next time I looked at my email, it was there. So, yeah, I'm really happy. I'm really pleased. Describe what it looks like. Oh, it's kind of, it's it's an A4 sheet of paper with which kind of gives you instructions to fold. So it's going to fit in your passport. It's got a QR code. It's got all your details on your date of birth, a very long number, which I presume is, well, obviously must be peculiar just to you, and a barcode so it can be scanned. Um, so I presume when, you, when you're in an airport or in a place of hospitality where you've got to show it. So it's really straightforward. You can fold it down into four quarters and it'll fit beautifully in your wallet or your purse or mm. paste it onto your forehead or whatever. <laughs> Look, we've got it. Can you put it into your phone? Can you scan it into yes. your phone? You can? Yeah, it downloaded. I just tried it there. I, I, I use an iPhone, not a particularly new one either, and it's it downloaded fine and it's there in its entirety. So I would imagine that's fine. So I'll be printing it out and putting a copy in my passport. I put a copy in my purse and uh, keeping one in my phone too. So, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. All right. Kate, thanks. Uh, got it this morning by email. That's Kate Durant. Uh, so they're out there. They're coming out. Vaccine passes into people's post and into people's phones and into people's emails. Well, you got to put it in your phone. I know, I know. Lots of calls uh, saying that uh, they are getting them this morning. If you went to your GP, I think you have to call your GP and, and they'll send it to you. If you went to a centre uh, or if you went to a pharmacy, it'll come out to you in the post or via email. The only thing I'm not sure about is what if you got the first one in one place and got the second one in another place? Might be worth clarifying that, and we'll do that. We will. We will do that. Um, she, she never mentioned Kate. Never mentioned anything about the the discrimination. Uh, well, I didn't ask her about it. She just got her her pass, and she's happy to use it. Um, some people are asking: Is this a form of discrimination that's coming in? Um, well, you can read it that way, or not. 
But she's got her pass and she's putting it into her wallet and she's putting it into her phone and she's gone off to use it, I assume. One caller was in, she got vaccine in two different places and got her cert this morning. That's good. That's good. That's good. Um, it'll, it'll develop over the next coming days. They've got to de- de- deliver nearly two million of these over the next while. One place we'll use them, of course, or one place people will use them, is when they're going on their hollybobs, when they're going flying, which after the 19th of July, we can. I'm not flying anywhere this year. I think we'll hold off until 2022. But a lot of people will, and some people have already. But a lot of people will, from next Monday, uh, be heading off to the various airports to go to the various sunspots. To be honest with you, I think you're half crazy if you do, but because the, the, the virus is on the rise all over Europe and in the various sunspots, there's warning now about Mallorca and there's warning now about the Canary Islands. They're very worried about it flying up again. But at the same time, people are booking and the travel trade in particular will be happy. Pat Dawson, Chief Executive of the Irish Travel Agents Association. Pat, good morning to you. Good morning, Peter. Despite the concerns internationally with the rise of Delta, people are booking, I think. They are indeed, yeah, and they're getting more confidence. Not not in their droves, Peter, for July, early August, but certainly the back end of August, September, October. And uh, like yourself, uh, man, you're booking for uh, 2022 as such. I'm going myself on the 29th of July, a long way to the trip uh, to see some friends in Spain. And that's, so I'm looking forward to that, even though I think the weather is very hot out there. But mm. look at... Uh, it's something traditionally I've always done every year and uh, many, many people will do the same. Yeah. Now look, it's going to be a slow return. It's not going to happen overnight, but I'm I'm sure the trade will be breathing a sigh of relief that given the vaccine passes and the international agreement on vaccine passes, it can start. Yes, it is. And it's great. And, and, And we have to remember, particularly living in Cork, that, you know, we need tourists to come into Ireland as such because you know, uh, you know, staycations are, are, are all good and fine, but that's only 25% of the spend as such. So we need all those visitors uh, to come into the city of Cork and the county of Cork. And, and, and that's going to happen because without the outbound, you have the inbound. And, and certainly uh, that will start. Uh, again, people will be cautious and, and as you rightly say, and, and be careful. I mean, I only got my second vax yesterday, so I've got to wait 14 days for it. And if I can say to people, uh, you know, as a matter of guidance, uh, there's a great app called Reopen uh, uh, EU, and it's a great app to, to look at, and that'll tell you all the different sanctions or restrictions or whatever. Oh, really? Yes, it's, it's a great app, uh, and uh, the travel agents are all using that now to get, give information uh, to, to, the, to the customers as such. And I've, I've looked at it several times, and it's, it's uh, you know, it's A, B, and C stuff, and uh, it's very good. So I'd, I'd recommend your listeners mm. uh, to to install it, and uh, it, it gives good, good advice. Do you think that uh, the airlines will have more confidence now to start operating again out of Cork and Dublin and Shannon? They will have, uh, again, we have a long ways to come back from, and, uh, you know, and, and I've said on your programme, you know, the, the Corks and the Shannons of this of this world need all the help they can get. There is a good capacity out of Cork. I've, I've, I've seen it for a start. It's not anything like it, it used to be, but look, it, it, it's, you know, I don't know many destinations they have, maybe 12 or 14 destinations as such, and it's a good start. And, uh, you know, I, I, I booked uh, out of Cork, and uh, there was a great, great fair that I've seen uh, there as well. So from that point of view, there, mm. there is good value. And, 
you know, many, many people uh, uh, I know who have, have gone down to various parts of Europe and have stayed, are, are staying down there for four or six weeks, particularly people who might have rented properties or, or renting apartments and, and are going uh, long stay uh, in, in many parts of Europe. Mm. Looking ahead to the autumn and winter, Pat, uh, from a Cork perspective, we know that we have that long closure coming up between September and November. How important is it that when that closes, it opens again on time? Oh, it's vitally important. And, you know, I had a meeting with Cork Airport about that and uh, the management told me there that it couldn't be helped and uh, there was a cost involved or whatever else. And it's unfortunate that it is closed uh, because certainly there will be a massive resurgence in September, October. But the good thing is that they're open for Christmas and uh, it's, it's very, very important that, that routes are supported. And if routes are not supported, PJ, you know, airlines will not come down because wanting airports like Cork and, and Shannon and Knock, I mean, they're, they're second-class citizens when it comes to support from airlines because they're, it's a tougher sell. Uh, you know, capacity out of Dublin and the population out of Dublin, they, they will get first call. So we we all have to work very, very hard to convince airlines uh, to come back to Cork and, and come back to Shannon yeah. or to increase their capacity. And that's a job that needs to be done very, very quickly mm. by all of us. A couple of questions that have come in, Pat. The, the situation with passports. Passport office, offices have been closed for months on end now. People with passports that are out of date or coming to the end of their date, what can they do? Well, to me, I, you know, I, I, I can't understand, uh, and nobody has answered the question, why Cork Passport Office is closed. I cannot understand that. Why is it closed? It's an essential service. Uh, people, uh, particularly the mature population, like, like to go in there and sort uh, mm. confusion issues. It yeah. should be open. I can't understand it. There yeah. is a very, very good online service, uh, or they may ring the... Yeah, but that's for an existing... An, an exist, the problem is, if, if you're looking for a new passport, you can't use the online service. No. But But how, how long is the wait now for a new passport? Well, I, I believe it, it was eight to nine weeks, but I believe now it's three to four weeks and it has come down as such. And many of these people are working from home, I believe. Yeah. But, but, but certainly people would really want to check the passports. And one thing, yes. TJ, just a small point, that some people, in, in for you mentioned doctors and, and people getting vaccinated with doctors, uh, the doctor might call you Sean, but your passport might be John. So you get a digital certificate called Sean, and your passport to John, so you've got to ring up the HSC and get that changed. Oh, so don't, yeah, oh so, this is oh. new. This is new. Yeah. So, hold on a while. This is important now, Pat. I'm stumbling on this one now. So, my passport, for example, has Patrick Joseph Coogan. That's what the J stands for. Yes. Right? My, my passport has Patrick Joseph Coogan. If my vaccine pass comes out without that, I have a problem. You do have a problem, and you need to ring the uh, the helpline, which I believe is opening uh, this week. Uh, I heard one of the ministers on this morning. I believe it's open, but certainly you have to be very, very careful because it's like uh, a different name as far as the authorities are concerned, and that's something uh, your listeners oh. really to take on board. Because my missus, for example, spells her name one way, and on her passport, it's spelled another way. And every year when I'm booking airline tickets, I. Sp- I spell her name the same way as it's spelt on the on the passport for for ease. You, you, even a spelling error can cause a problem here. Yes, yes, and, and really be very, very careful. 
and, and go, go right through it. But the digital search will, will, or the search will come out in the name that you've given them and your passport name could be different. And it's very, very important. And you just don't want catastrophes at airports. No. Because it's a, it's a wrong name, PJ, as you know yourself. Oh, crikey, Pat, that's new now. That is new yeah. on us, definitely, definitely. Uh, now, just coming back to standard passport for a moment. So, the the pass passport through the post office you can still do, but can you get a new one through the post office? I couldn't give you a truthful answer on that because I wouldn't guess it. I wouldn't second guess it. That's something I I will find out for you. But I truthfully don't, don't okay, know that answer. That passport, passport by post or whatever they call it used to be a very efficient system. You'd have it back in, in a week to 10 days. The online system is brilliant. You can back, have it back in a couple of days, but that's only for an existing passport. Yes, indeed. Yes, it is. But I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you on your, to your programme okay. about that. I'll, I'll let your okay. researchers know Thank about you. that. Please. And yeah. lastly, Pat, uh, people again ask us often with this, what is the current situation with regards to the UK first and then Spain pre-July 19th? Coming back from the UK, you have to quarantine. You don't have to when you go there. Correct, yeah. That's that's exactly the situation there. And that's going to hold like that, I would imagine, for several weeks because uh, they have an incredible amount of new cases there. And uh, that common uh, market area certainly will remain like that. And that's what you have to do, yes. So you expect that even looking into August, someone wants to visit friends and relatives in the UK, even if they're fully vaccinated, you can go over there without quarantine, but when you come back, you will have to and probably get a test. And with regards to to, to Spain, look, they're not supposed to, but people are going back and forth at the moment. What's the situation there? Well, the situation there is, it's it's the same thing. You have to get a PCR test uh, going out as such before the 19th, but with your digital digital certificate, uh, all bets are off and you're free to go. Mm. And I would... Sorry, do do you need a PCR to get into Spain now or with an antigen, do you? Yes, you do. Uh, Well, uh, uh, PCR, as far as I know, uh, again, I'm not 100% about that, but as far as I know, it's a PCR test. Okay. And lastly, that app you mentioned a while ago. Uh, it's, uh, let, let me just check it here again in my notes. It's uh, re, uh, Reopen EU. Reopen EU. Reopen EU. Great. And, and, and government.ie is also a very, very good okay. uh, line to, to look at as such, but the European one is really fantastic. Okay. And one very last one. Can we go to America at the moment, Pat? No, you can't. No, we're, we're, we're American can come to, into us, but we can't go there. And uh, eventually, that will be agreed by by, by the, the states, and our certificate will be will be recognised by by them. But that's not to be at the moment. Okay. All right. Listen, we'll catch up again. Pat Dawson, uh, chief executive of the Irish Travel Agents Association. That is the story out of that conversation, though. Like Kate got her passed this morning by email other people have got it in the post this morning the name that comes up this is crucially important, the name that comes up on that vaccine pass if it's not the same as the name on your passport it could cause a problem so if you're we'll say James John Murphy and you go by Seamus you could have a problem if the vaccine pass comes back issued to Seamus. If, for example, you spell your name with one letter, like take Gillian, the two spells of Gemma, take two spellings of Gemma, right? Most people spell Gemma with a G. My daughter spells hers with a J. If it comes with the wrong spelling, you need to get it corrected. 
what's on your passport, your travel passport, must match what's on your vaccine passport to the letter. That's a very interesting discovery this morning. And thank you for that, Pat Dawson. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairymaid Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Helping you through your afternoon in Cork. All the big stories of the day. Tunes from your favourite artists. Pink, Little Mix, Tom Grennan, Niall Horan. They're all in there. See you from 12 on Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. There in the break, I just got into my app store and I downloaded that app that uh, Pat Dawson was talking about, Reopen EU, and it is. It's very good, very efficient, loads of information. So let's look at Spain. Like, if you want to get into Spain right now, you can go with your certificate of vaccination you can go with a certificate of recovery or a negative test and they are accepting both PCR and antigen they're accepting both PCR and antigen to get into Spain right now after the 19th uh, it'll be vaccine pass and then children under 12 are exempted from testing or quarantine requirements. So if you wanted to go on holidays next week, there's an interesting one. If you wanted to go on holidays to Spain next week uh, and the two young lads aren't vaccinated yet, you and the missus are vaccinated, then the two, well, you can go from next week because they won't need to be vaccinated. That's just on that Spanish terms and conditions. Reopen EU is the app. It's very good. I just downloaded that there during the break. 1850 Now our students are off for the summer at the moment. They've had a very very much disrupted year and a half and the hope against hope is that they'll be able to get back to college as close to normal as possible come September or October. Asha Woodhouse is the newly elected President of the Students' Union at UCC. Congratulations, Asha. Good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you? Uh, good. Good to have you on the programme, your, your first time. Perfect. So so what are the hopes and dreams, as it were, of students coming into a new semester in September? Well, obviously, um, we really, really want to see a return to campus. You know, the last year has been very, very difficult for students. Um, it's been a very isolating and lonesome experience for many students. Um, so we really want to see um, a safe return to campus this September, particularly because we'll have uh, second year stu- students going into second year who have never stepped foot on campus before. Um, so we really want to see those students and their incoming first years and all our students really get to come back onto campus because in UCC we really are a campus-based university. We have a beautiful, beautiful campus. And I think for students being connected to your campus and that social element is a really important part of your educational experience. Um, so we, to, to be able to do this, we really need clear guidelines and a plan um, mm. come September. And I know it's, very, it's just very difficult right now because things are a bit up in the air. It's very difficult to make clear plans, but we're just kind of keeping on pushing to, to get clear guidelines as soon as possible so that we can make a plan for a return to campus. Mm. The Minister for Higher Education, Simon Harris, has been talking about things like creating extra spaces and preparing a testing regime for colleges. But you, you have no document in front of you as of yet as to what's going to happen, have you? No, I don't on my end. No, 
nothing. What about those extra spaces? Do you like that idea? Yeah, I think it's definitely something to consider, you know, because over the last year, uh, we were able to open up kind of big extra rooms um, to use as additional study space because obviously our library was was working at a lower capacity. Um, So I guess if there is social distancing and all that come September, that'll be a concern because especially if there's um, kind of a hybrid learning where some classes will be online and some will be on person and timetable clashes can happen where you could have a student who has to commute an hour from, say, Mallow or something like that. And what if they have a, a class online one hour and then in person the next? And we need to have space to facilitate that kind of learning. Um, mm. So I do think it's important to, to really plan really carefully around this to ensure equity of access as well, you know, that no student is left at home or that feeling like big hands come to campus. Yeah. How how concerned are students about getting back? I mean, obviously, look, at the moment, so many of them are unvaccinated uh, that yeah. coming back would be risky. Uh, will there be testing, do you think? I mean, do anything, will, will, there, be, will there be testing on campus when they come back? Um, I, I'm not sure, but I would definitely welcome testing on campus. And, you know, we have done pop-up testing centres on campus over the last year, and it's been a huge success. And students really, really are eager to uh, get tested, get their vaccine. You know, there's been a huge um, signing up for for the vaccine mm. uh, since it's been opened up to the to the younger cohort. Mm. Um, I think something like antigen testing could be fantastic. You know, this is what's been rolled out in many countries across Europe, and it's not something to replace PCR testing. It's just an extra safety measure. Yeah. You know, like mask wearing, like hand washing. Isn't UCC um, involved in some uh, a trial as well, isn't it, Asha, to see yeah, how the okay. testing would work on an ongoing basis? Yeah, so we're part of the Unicove uh, pilot, which is a research project that's going to be um, rolling out over the next couple of weeks. Um, and it's a fantastic project. You know, I, I think it'll, it'll really bring some promising results and um, hopefully the government will, will take those results and will roll it across, out across campuses come September to facilitate that return because we really, the important thing is just is catching cases before there's an outbreak and particularly in, in an educational institution where you do just have crowds of students yeah. moving through campus. It's really, really important to, to catch people. Yeah. And also- Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. So because students often go home for the weekend, you know, um, it's important that they're not going home if they're if, if they have COVID because yeah. we'll just get that spread out into rural areas and the same thing will happen like we had at Christmas. Yeah, the concern would be, and again, the younger cohorts, the 18, 19 and 20 year olds, they're not vaccinated yet and, and many of them won't be for a number of weeks. So 
got a good testing regime when they come back because the last thing you want to have to do, Asha, isn't it, is shut down again. Yeah, I think like a shutdown again, I mean, obviously, if you have to do it, you have to do it, but it really should be a last resort. We should be putting all safety measures and, and prevention measures in place as we possibly can to ensure that doesn't happen because even particularly for, you know, students that are, are moving down to court or are moving from abroad, international students, you know, it's very, very isolating for them if they, because what happened last year is they all moved down and then, you know, it was the weekend before it was like, actually, no, we have to close. And it's just very, very isolating for people. There was no opportunity for people Mm. to meet anyone. Even it's very hard to make friends just online and all that. So I think students will really suffer. And particularly, you know, I know young people haven't been as, uh, impacted in terms of physical health by COVID, but the mental health impacts are going to be astronomical if we don't get this environment, this social environment that is so crucial to young people's development back up and running. Yeah, I think what I'm hearing very clearly, Asha, is a call from you in your capacity as Students' Union President for clarity from all sides, from the college and from the government, and tell us, and don't just tell us the day before, tell us weeks before. Yeah. Clarity is key. I mean, there seems to be a huge push and a huge desire to return to campus, but that's all well and good. We need a plan. We need guidelines. We need clear, you know, contingency plan. And what happens if this goes wrong? And what happens if we can't do this? You know, that guide, those, that clear guide, guidance and that clear communication will ease a lot of stress and anxiety and uncertainty for students and will allow them to make the right decision for themselves about whether they not whether or not they want to come back to court or mm. for us here in UCC or wherever they're going to college um, or if it would suit them better to stay at home because some students it might suit them better to stay at home you know not every student has some mm. students have actually excelled in this online year as well you know it has been a smaller group of students but Students need as much information as possible so that they can make the right decision for them, their well-being and their health overall. And, and of course, those who are physically vulnerable or whose health is vulnerable, they're the most important of all in this plan. Yeah, definitely. You know, there needs to be total equity of access um, across the board. And that's something we're very clear on. um, and, And the college is very receptive to, you know, that there needs to be provisions in place to support these students who whether or not themselves are vulnerable or maybe they have someone at home who's vulnerable, um, you know, to to allow them to still have an education experience. Particularly, you know, we're we're paying fees to be here. Um, We're here to get an education at the end of the day and we need to facilitate that as much as possible. Okay, listen, good speaking with you. Uh, Asha Woodhouse, uh, President of UCC Students' Union. Thanks, Asha. First time on with me, I I think after her election, she was on with Fiona, but it wasn't on with me. The first time on with me. Thank you very much, Asha. 1850-715-996. This has come in and it's heartbreaking, but I'm going to have to read it. Uh, It's a plea from a listener for help. Whether you'll be able to help or not, I do not know, but we'll see. I'll read it next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Peter Pan the Panto, starring Panto favourites Alan Hughes, Rob Murphy and Jake Carter, will fly onto the silver screen this July at Omniplex Cinema in Cork and across the country. It runs from July 9th with tickets on sale now. Access all areas.
Cork Rockers, the Altered Hours, are playing Cypress Avenue on Friday 29th of October. And they also have a brand new single out, Radiant Wounds, just released on streaming platforms. Tickets are available from cypressavenue.ie. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Okay, I'm going to read this, and if you can help, you can help. If not, you can't, but I'd like to think that we could. Hi, PJ. I just tried to book Tato Park for this weekend, but it's sold out. That's okay in normal circumstances, but my wife is terminally ill with cancer. Her chemo has been cancelled this week because her bloods aren't good enough. So it's one of the only chances we'll get to take our daughter there. I'm not looking for donations or anything of the sort. Just if you could ask if anyone has two adult tickets and one child ticket for Friday or Saturday, I'd really appreciate it. Smalley is seven years old, if that helps, from the ticket. Cheers, guys. I presume he wants to swap or buy them from somebody. So that's someone who's called the show or contacted the show. His wife is terminally ill. They wanted to go this weekend. They can't go this weekend because it's sold out. It sounds to me like they won't have too many more chances. So if anyone's got a ticket for two adults and one child to Tato Park for Friday or Saturday of this week, this caller to the opinion line will, will take them off your hands by them, I assume, from you. Uh, don't know. It may fall on deaf ears. There may be nobody out there who can help. But if you can, you know where we are. Right, we're trying to clarify the situation with the guy to GP surgeries. GPs have no role in this. The, the minister, Oshin Smith, has been on radio, I think, in the last wee while, clarifying this. GPs have no role. Your vaccine pass will arrive by post or by email. If it doesn't arrive, there will be a helpline, uh, a new helpline, okay, uh, set up over the last couple of days. Uh, do not call the existing HSE vaccine helpline. Government.ie has further details. Yeah, the minister has been speaking. I don't know where he was speaking, but he has been speaking anyway. Uh, Ocean Smith is the one sent out. So there's been a me- some information went out on national radio this morning about GP surgeries which was wrong uh, and now they've clarified it don't ring your GP your GP has nothing to do with this and in fact we had a a call a wee while ago I work in GP surgery and we've been told absolutely nothing about giving patients their COVID travel passport so why are they telling people to ring their doctor because as usual we're the last to be told anything that was a mess up on national radio. They got it wrong this morning. Morning Ireland, I think, but it was one of the national programmes this morning got it wrong. No one should ring their GP. You'll get it by post or you'll get it by email. If you don't, there will be a helpline number. There is a number going around, but we don't have it nailed down yet that that is the actual number. They're setting up the helpline as we speak. There is a number flying around. I'm not going to give it out till we're absolutely sure of it, but don't ring any existing numbers. If we have it before the end of the programme, we'll give it to you. But don't be going ringing your doctor. All right? 1850 Look, it's all as clear as mud, but 
we'll get there at the end of the day. But the most important thing we've learned this morning is, if you want to travel on it, that the name, the spelling of the name, the version of the name on your VI, on your travel pass, vaccine pass, has to match the one on your passport. If it doesn't, you might have a problem. 1850-715-996. A platform that <laughs> I often joke it should be banned from any house where there's a bit of DIY going on because you'd be building something or you'd be painting a, wall, a room or decorating the walls or changing flooring or doing a de- anything at all. And you're there and you have a plan and you have an idea and then so look what I just found on Pinterest. No, Jesus. No, Pinterest is the bane of the life of any DIY enthusiast because all the ideas get thrown to one side when someone sees a picture on Pinterest. And it's a great app. There's a lot of fantastic stuff on it. But they've taken a very brave move by banning anything to do with an eating disorder ad or weight loss ads. Any ads to do with weight loss, any products relating to weight loss are banned from Pinterest. I think they're the first platform to do it, and it's being widely welcomed. Erin's at the Eating Disorder Centre in Cork. Erin, good morning. Good morning. Are they the first platform to do it? That I know of, they are, for sure. But it's a welcome uh, change. You know, we all need to change the way we think and how we view social media and our choices. Mm. Um, So, um, welcome and good morning, and thank you for having me on. Delighted. Pinterest, of course, is photograph-based. Yes. And and that's the key here. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, I suppose there's a lot of controversy at, at the moment around TikTok. TikTok um, would have... You see, the thing with the eating disorders is shame. You know, a lot of people come to us full of shame Um They've been shamed by, you know, they take on the shame themselves. But social media, um, clothing stores, um, you know, sizes in clothing stores. There's so many things that can shame somebody with an eating disorder. Um, But social media would be very quite high in the list. Yeah. Their head of content is someone called Aya Kanai. I hope I have the name right. But they will now prohibit ads that have anything to do with discussing weight loss that mention BRI, BMI, show yes. before and after imagery or any yep. imagery that idealises certain body types and features. How important is that for... It's very important. Now, you know, like, I'm a person too and I must admit when I see Love Island and I could see all the contestants coming out and, you know, with different surgeries done, I was very tempted to go on and look for before and after photos of them. But that would really be inappropriate because um, it would be shaming, you know. Mm. Um, So anything that brings shame on a person, really, we have to take another look at it and see is it appropriate or not. Um, And that would be the number one thing that we would have here is shame. And Mm. our clients would suffer with shame and isolation then the shame would lead to isolation. And yeah. it would stop somebody from reaching out and getting help. Yeah, getting Like if help. someone comes, is scrolling through whatever platform, uh, someone's vulnerable and they're f- scrolling through a platform and they see an ad or they see a set of photographs, what, what does it do to them inside? What emotion does it trigger? 
You know, um, I actually had a client this morning and I asked him and I said to him, I'm, I'm speaking today on the radio, can you tell me what this um, brings up for you? And he immediately said, um, in my stomach, I feel sick because I feel like it's all about me, that they're talking about me and the shame is all about me. And if somebody posts it on, I'm afraid that people are talking about me, you know, um, because because of the shame, you know, uh, based around it. So he said to me, it's about time and I wish the others would do it too. Yeah. So that's coming from the horse's mouth this morning, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when they see something, yeah. even though it's not aimed directly at them, they internalize it. That's it. And that's part of the disorder, correct? Yeah, that's part of the disorder. You know, it is, um, it's, it's a very secretive disorder. You know, you could, in, in a person who is atypical anorexia, they might be normal weight or they might be even slightly overweight. Now, I mean atypical anorexia. There's so many types of eating disorders out there. You could be, your neighbor could have an eating disorder and you may never know. You know, they're very easy to disguise. They're very secretive. Yeah. Um, so that's where the shame comes in and the fear and, um, and, and the isolation. And it could stop that person from reaching out, you know, yeah. to get help because they're so shameful and fearful. Yeah. You know? There's a lot of stuff out there these days that, that whether intentionally or not, it triggers negative emotions. Like the, the body positivity movement is another yes. one. You know, yes. saying love the skin you're in regardless. But but that can stress people out if they want to change for themselves and can't. I think so too. You know, I think we're all different. We all have different triggers. We all have different things that upset us. Um, you know, I think anything too extreme it, it can be bad. Be it you know, body shaming. Now at the moment it's all exercise and healthy living and that can stress people out too, you know. I mean, a lot of people like to have a takeaway at the weekend and that could, you know, um, you know, their children after watching so much social media or, or whatever, they could say, look, we can't have the takeaway on a Friday night anymore because it's not good for us, it's not healthy. And then that's, that can lead to an eating disorder as well, you know. Really? So it's balance. It's balance. It's a very, you know? very delicate balance by the sound of yes. it, Erin. Do you know? It's a very delicate balance. You know, I mean, like a simple comment. Like, we, we all do need to be so careful, don't we? Because we might have said in, in an earlier point in our lives, we might have said, Asher, what harm is it if I say, Asher, you're beautiful. What, what would you want to be losing weight for? It I sounds know. like a harmless compliment but it's not I know I know and you know like even the older generation like we've, we've come so far with being very politically correct around you know people's different sexuality and their preferences why not about bodies and shape you know mm. it's about time really we became a lot more compassionate and and kinder to people mm. you know maybe it's not even politically correctness or whatever you want to call it it's it's a case that we now know through research yes. into eating disorders of many kinds we, we now know that the most innocent sounding comment can actually be 
internalised by a person who's vulnerable and send them off on a whole spiral of behaviour. Yes. Yeah. For sure. And we saw that over lockdown. I mean, yeah. lockdown affected us all in different ways. You know, it was very... Um, it, we had no warning. It just came and we all, were all affected differently. But uh, the eating disorders, I mean, it's proven out there. All the eating disorder clinics, ours has, uh, our intake has riven, uh, risen by... Oh my God, our phone is constantly hopping. We could have about 400% increase in our intake, I'd say, since mm. COVID started. And why is it that, Erin, do you think? I think I think social media, um, TV, schools, it was all about exercise and healthy eating, you know, making mm. your sourdough bread. Um, you know, everything starts to focus on... on um, food really and exercise you know um, and it, it went the opposite way because mm. we're told too that too these far. are all positive things that good food and good exercise are good for us but, but it's not they as are. simple as that is we it? have to live too you yeah. know we have to have an enjoyable life mm. so anything to extreme is bad you know any anything that would we, we've got a lot of people now coming in with um you know, clean, clean eating. They're very, yeah. yes. So no additives, no sugars, no nothing, you know, which works for some people, but it's a bit extreme for the ordinary. For me, I would find it very extreme. So just say I wanted to have, you know, a treat at the weekend, that would mean no. I'd find that very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and if somebody told me to do it, I would be afraid to go back to that person and say, look, I found that hard to do. You know, and that would bring shame on me. And then, you know, so people were going, there were young kids going back to the schools and they were like saying, you know, but they weren't admitting, um, maybe we do get a takeaway on a Friday night. Maybe I have, you know, um, an odd ice cream cone or something like that, you know. And yeah, um, yeah. there is, there's a lot to be said for it, our awareness around healthy food and healthy living. But it's the extreme. It's the extremities, really, you know. Yeah, and of course, something else too within lockdown is that when they were living at home on their own, people were able to control and hide yes. their disorder. They can't now. I know, and we had a lot of young people that had to go back to live with their parents um, for a year or for for how many months it took, and. Um, everything kind of became apparent. The parents said they didn't know this was going on. So in some ways, it brought families together. And, you know, maybe these things were highlighted and and some of our clients got to recover because of that. Mm. You know, so it had its pluses, shall we say. Erin, mm. how might we know that a loved one is struggling? Because it's not something, at least in the early stages, that manifest itself in something we can see. How how might we know that, that a loved one was struggling? I got this very good um, thing from the internet from one of the, the UK sites, and I'm going to call it out because I haven't heard of anything sure. more, more kind of catchy and, um, and that made more sense to me anyhow. So eating disorders know the signs. Um, it said lips, they're obsessive about food. Flips, is their cha- behavior changing? Lips, hips. flips. Yep, hips. Hip. Do they have, and then hips is next. Right. Do they have distorted beliefs about their body size? Hips, 
KIPS is next. Mm -hmm. Are they often tired or struggling to concentrate? Nips, do they disappear into the toilet after meals? And then skips, have they started exercising excessively? Very good. Where might we find that so that I can read it out some more? You know what? I'll put that up on our website, will I? Do that. And I'll that'd put be, it up on our social media. That'd be great. That'd be great. Um, and we'll we'll and share it because that sounds that sounds really good. Yeah, and and I'll um, I'll put in the the the, um, the the site I got it from because uh, recognition do. to them. It was just a very simple, clear sure. way, and I just found that very good. You know, you might um, you might. I go see I it, and then we can we can uh, we can read it out. Thanks very much, Erin. That's great. That's Erin from the Eating Disorder Centre Cork. That broadened out into a much wider discussion. Thank you, Erin. Uh, Pinterest has banned anything to do with weight loss. Any advertising to do with weight loss. Uh, we'll get that. It's a way that you can spot that a loved one might be struggling. We'll get that and, and give you more detail on it. And by the way, important to stress, but it's not just women either. A lot of men struggle. In fact, I think that the person that Aaron was talking about in the example to do with, you know, what an advertisement can do. I think that was a man she was talking about. So. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. You know, I'm seeing something on social media that is making me more and more angry with regard to these vaccine passes. I'm seeing where any business now that says they will accept them, reluctantly, because nobody wants these things willingly, but if we're going to do it safely for the time being, if we're going to have people into the businesses safely for the time being, it's not perfect, but it's about the only way to do it. I'm looking at some very stupid carry-on. Oh, I'm boycotting this place or I won't be setting foot in that place. Well, do you know what? Particularly if they're in Cork, I'll drink the pint in there and I'll eat my sandwich in there because I know these people just want to get open. They just want to get open. And I'll have my pass with me and I have no problem with using it. And if you think that's me being too outspoken, then that's fine. Off with you. Speaking of outspoken, I have to um, <laughs> I have to read this out. We've been following this story for a while um, on the program and in the news bulletins, and it's in all the newspapers. The story of Margaret Bottomer from the cottage St Fintan's Road in Bandon. Uh, she's the woman. She was jailed yesterday for ninety days by Judge James McNulty over refusing to wear the mask. She's been in the papers a couple of times. She's been before the courts a couple of times. But yesterday it all came to a head in Bandon District Court where Judge James McNulty uh, sent her to jail for 90 days after two more incidents where she refused to wear a mask when asked to do so. He said she had rights and entitlements but she also had duties and obligations as an Irish citizen. He said her rights included a right to dissent and to protest 
but those rights were subject to public health guidelines. And in a national emergency such as a pandemic, such rights may be restricted. Judge McNulty said Mrs. Bottomer had preached, had breached the regulations lawfully made for the preservation of public health of all citizens and in this regard had broken the law of the land. And this line, he didn't hold back on her at Bandon District Court yesterday. He said she'd shown profound disrespect for all those who'd lost their business, their employment, or those who'd lost their lives or lost loved ones. And for all of those, she'd shown profound disrespect in her breach of the guidelines. And she disregarded the rights to health and safety of those who work in frontline uh, and had been, she'd been disrespectful to other compliant shoppers, including those who may be vulnerable. And he jailed her for a total of 90 days. Uh, interesting. That was coming for a while. It was in and out of court for the last while. A lot of people didn't think she'd see the inside of a jail cell. But she was jailed yesterday for 90 days. Margaret Bottomer from St. Vincent's Road in Bandon. 1850 There is no number working at the moment with regard to the COVID-19 uh, vaccine pass. There's a number on the pass when you get it. Breaking news, that number isn't working yet. All right. Guess what? There's a number on the pass, but it doesn't work yet. <laughs> Hold on. When they have a number that works, we'll, we'll tell you what it is. 1850-715-996. Do you remember last week we were talking about the arts and the reopening of the arts and accessibility that goes along with that? And the idea that, look, during lockdown, we did an awful lot of stuff, on, stuff online, which was brilliant for people with mobility issues. And then the suggestion was, well, maybe, you know, when we do all open up again, and something is sold out or whatever, we could also do an online version of it all. And we're talking more now about accessibility in the arts. It's funny, I, I was in the Opera House on Saturday night for that wonderful pilot event, and I, I just had this thought in my mind that in normal times, such a great night of music with Magella Culla and friends would have been completely sold out. Sold out months in advance. And it would have been lovely to get to see it online. And also, of course, it would have been great accessibility because even though the Opera House is very good, not everybody in a wheelchair or using a wheelchair can get in because they just don't have enough seats. And it's a whole new area of discussion as we try to get back to some semblance of normal. Amy, you're very glad this is being discussed. Good morning to you. Hello. How are you keeping? Good, good. How does this affect you? Um, as in what way? Sorry. <laughs> well, you're obviously uh, involved with 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 arts for all. I am. Uh, yes, I'm in with arts for all and with super arts as well. They are my two important um, teams. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. And what do you do at arts for all? Okay, so with the arts for all, what I do is we um we are a strategic group uh, since the beginning of 2016. And we are working together. We organise with organisations, sorry, and artists all across Cork to build a more inclusive arts community for all. Okay. Um, we represent for the disability community um, as a group, and we meet 
uh, every month to talk about the inclusion in the arts and how we can support each other and learn from each other about inclusion and creativity. Um, for example, right, we, um, my favourite event was in Christmas time, during the Christmas time, and this was before COVID, of course. Mm. Um, it was in St. Peter's Church, and we organised a gathering. Oh, that was brilliant. And like that now, we were kind of like thinking, how can we make this really inclusive? So um, St. Peter's Church is very accessible for wheelchairs users. Mm-hmm. So there's a ramp and you can go up there and there's lovely space. There's lots of room. And we had a, a, a interpreter as well, you know, so if anyone can come in that uh, can't hear, they have an interpreter. So there's access to that so they'll be able to um, you know, uh, watch the interpreter uh, yeah. translate, you know? Definitely. And uh, another example as well for this is that I'm a visual learner. So they had a, a, a presentation. So I was able to watch the presentation visually as well as listening to the person talking. <laughs> so that was, you know, I felt that was a re- I felt that's a really good example um, yeah. of being included. Now, there are a certain number of rights under the United Nations Convention that we should mm-hmm. all be, be wary of. What are those rights, Amy? So, <clears throat> excuse me, so the right is basically it's just, you know, a person with a disability has the right, especially in the arts. They have every right um, to express themselves and to be a part of of anything, you mm. know? And their disability shouldn't get in the way of that, you know. Um, with the uh, N, UN or DP, I think what really uh, caught my eye, and I didn't know about this at all, is um, that the government, they signed off the rights of persons with disabilities to access the earth. But there's <laughs> nothing happening. <laughs> They've agreed to do it, but it hasn't been done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And that really shocked me. And I, you know, I didn't even know about that until I read the Irish Examiner. And, you know, that really, it, it hurts. I'm, I'm, I'm sad because, um, you know, I, I have a disability and I feel that, okay, we are just as much the same as everyone else, whereas equal, I can't see how this, this is, is just as important as everything else. This would be number one, really, you know. Mm. How does your, if you don't mind my asking, Amy, how does your disability prevent you from enjoying something like a concert or something like that? Well, you see, I'm very lucky in the sense of things where um, my disability is an an interactual disability. So I don't have a physical disability. It's more of an interactual, so you can't really see it. Yeah. Um, what that means is, so communication is my biggest one, really. So um, an example is actually being on the phone to you right now mm-hmm. is challenging because I have no idea um, what you're going to say. And then it depends, oh, how am I, how will I understand what he's trying to say? So I might have to ask you a couple of times to explain your question and mm-hmm. you'll have to say it in maybe a couple of different ways for me to actually understand. Sure. Um that's one. And another one then is being able to access training. So I, during the COVID times, you know, I really want to keep myself busy. And part of my CE scheme is that I needed to um, apply for training. So I applied for seven courses and unfortunately I haven't been accepted. Okay. And 
because there was too many that applied, they can't give you any feedback. So unfortunately, <laughs> I have no idea where I'm going wrong in the, mm. that, that sense of things. Mm. Um, but with my training, I feel so honoured that I was able to uh, do online classes with ETB, Cork ETB. Have yeah. you heard of them? I have indeed. Oh, yes. brilliant. Okay. Education and training board, yeah. yeah. Yes. And I've also taught art classes as well to people that are in residential areas and at home during the COVID times. And, you know, having that as a background means everything to me because it shows that I can, you know, take part. Like, that's me taking part. Yeah. And that's really positive. And also, if you don't mind me, sorry, now I don't no, you're okay. either. Take, um, your, take your time. I, um, I'm also doing a um, uh, Be Part. It's an organisation that is with mid festivals, and I'm taking part in di- uh, di- diary docu- documentation. So, which is really interesting. So, I'm basically, um, you know, writing down my opinions and what I thought of this event. Um, so that's another thing that I'm taking part in. Yeah. Um, and I think another one then would be for me that I find really hard as a barrier, uh, especially when it comes to events, is my travelling. Because I'm living in a rural area, um, which is an hour and 30 minutes away from Cork, majority of the events are on like from maybe four to five, I'd say, mm. you know. And unfortunately, my bus is 5.30, so I'm not driving yet. And then I'm, I'm being disincluded into an event because of the timing of my bus schedule. Yes. You know, that's what, and of course, COVID-19. <laughs> I think everyone... That messed everything up. <laughs> messed everything up. Amy, can I just ask you finally, your your disability might be what we might call an invisible disability. Mm-hmm. D- yes. Do you think that a lot of people don't get it? That just because there isn't a, a, visibility, a disability that they can't see, that there isn't one there? You know, that's a really good question. Um... I kind of understand that. Could you maybe give me an example, sorry? <laughs> well, you know, you need help with something like going to an event, for example. Yeah. But we might notice that. No. Oh, yes. Yeah, you see, um, see, I'm very lucky in the sense where I'm not shy. If I need help, I'm going to ask it. But we'll say if someone doesn't have the confidence enough to be able to ask for help, because they're afraid that they might think, oh, this is a really silly question, I feel really silly, then, um, you know, it's important that people with uh, invisible disability should not have to hide that whatsoever. Gotcha. If you need help, that's a great thing, because then everyone will be aware of your surroundings. Like, um, for example, if I was to go to a new event, uh, my, my boss, Owen Ash, um, he works in social arts as well. He's the art department, I know. or art director in the art department. Yeah, he's lovely. And um, oh my goodness, with his support now, because I've been in the CU scheme for four years now, this is my fourth year, and he's so phenomenal. Like, I, I tend to panic. So when I do something new, or if I go to a new event, he's always there. You know, he helps, he helps me to prepare. He, he'll even like be there in the event for me if I need him to be there. He's very supportive, you know, and he's he's always helped me to thrive and to really, you know, make a difference. And even now he suggested me to go on today's radio and like 
I'm just so grateful and honoured to be on the 96FM radio, you know. Well, well um, we're delighted to have you and Owen knows, <laughs> Owen knows me well. He, he, he oh. <laughs> so he, I've, I've met Owen many times. Listen, you're doing an absolutely fabulous job there standing up and speaking out for, for the rights of, of people with particularly the invisible disability. Mm-hmm. Amy, thank you for being with me today and good luck to you. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Cheers. That's Amy Begley. 1850-715-996. There's a bit of news. Uh, there's a, a teaser gone out from Aiken Promotions for a big Parky Cueve gig. Cork Bio have a, a video. Let's see. Can I bring it up? Here we go. Hello. Yeah. Fifteenth of July, twenty one. Fifteenth of July. Whether that's tickets going on sale or what it is or what the date is or nothing, but it would appear that there's a big gig being announced. I assume for twenty twenty two by Aiken Promotions, and it looks as if it might be Elton John. Yes, it's the E from Rocket Man is in the video, and there's a kind of a yellow carpet maybe to signify a yellow brick road. We can't be sure but looks like it might be an Elton John gig for Parky Cueve sometime in 2021. I'll be there. I saw him in the marquee a few years ago. I've seen Elton John twice actually. I saw him in the marquee a few years ago I saw him in Dublin. Ah, he's brilliant. That would be a great catch for Aikens for 2022 were it to happen. 1850 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Now, just once again, that number is not active yet. There is no active number just yet for the vaccine passport call centre. There is a number on the bottom of the pass when you get it. That number isn't active yet. We assume it'll be active soon, but it isn't active yet. And something else to remind you, don't ring your GP. That was wrong information given out on National Radio this morning that people should ring their GP. Don't ring your GP. Uh, You will be either getting it by post or getting it in email, email form. And if you have a problem, then you're in the help centre. You don't ring your your GP. Uh, On actual passports... On actual passports. I applied for my passport last Thursday online, got it in the post on Monday. Yeah, we were talking to Pat Dawson about that in the Irish Travel Agents Association. The online passport renewal, if you have an existing passport, is lightning fast. It's brilliant. I did it a couple of years ago for the young fella. Uh, his passport ran out in 2019 and ran out, oh, crikey, it was back in three days, literally three days. Uh, and it's three to seven days is that turnaround for the online, but that's just to update or to renew an existing passport. If you look, you're looking for a new passport, Pat Dawson was saying at the moment, you're looking at four to six weeks. And the passport through the post office, we don't know whether you can send a new application in there or not. We'll see if we can, we'll see if we find out some more about that. On the vaccine passes of PJ, I got my vaccine cert in the post. 
I put it away safe. I photocopied it in case it gets lost. I'm getting two photocopies just in case I lose it or forget it. That's from Jimmy and Farinry. And then the question of what happens if you can't get a vaccine. My son and I have had our vaccines cancelled because we have had allergic reactions to other medicines. I can't speak to that one. Obviously, I can't. Not nurturely even try. I would suggest in that incidence you call your GP and get your GP's advice. John O'D, John O'Donoghue's on. Is that if there's another form of COVID by October, it's likely the restrictions for indoor wet pub and dining will be extended. It's like Jesus Christ's birth with no room at the inn. Will there ever be room at the inn for the unvaccinated? You're making two separate points there, and neither of them makes sense, John. If there's another form of COVID by October, is it likely the restrictions will be extended? Well, hopefully not, because in in the case of science tells us now that the vaccines are are standing up to pretty much every variant with differing differing degrees. Uh, of course, if you're not vaccinated, and John says he's not vaccinated, he's not going to get vaccinated. Well, you're as vulnerable to Delta as you are to Alpha and Beta and Gamma, John. So there you go. Will there ever be room at the inn for the unvaccinated? Well, there will be when we when we reach herd immunity, when all the sensible people have gotten themselves vaccinated. 1850-715-996. Now, uh, if you think that we have tough rules and regulations in this country, then you kind of need to think again. Look internationally, particularly across even the EU. Look to France. Look to what President Macron has said. Anybody working at any level of the health service over there must be vaccinated. And if you're not vaccinated, you just won't be paid. He's getting tough. And other parts of Europe are getting tough. And all nursing home staff in Ireland must now be vaccinated. Uh, Ty Daly is with Nursing Home Ireland, Nursing Homes Ireland. Ty, good morning. Good morning, PJ. That's the case, isn't it? All staff now to work in a nursing home must be vaccinated. Are you for or against that? Well, it's not mandatory at this point in time, but I suppose the point we'd make is that, uh, thankfully at the moment, there's a very, very high uptake. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as you've outlined there, you know, when you look at in France, uh, you look at uh, our near neighbours in the UK, it it is mandatory now for those working in healthcare. So uh, the point we'd make in Nursing Homes Ireland, it, it has to be discussed. Um, because as we, uh, the pandemic has shown us that every time uh, we, 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 I suppose, try to outwit the, the virus, the virus outwits us. Um, so, you know, the evidence around mask wearing, the evidence around uh, infection control, all of those continue to evolve. Uh, and our view is that the position around vaccination should evolve as well. And I don't think it's unreasonable uh, to expect someone working in a healthcare setting uh, because they have a responsibility to those they care for. I don't think it's unreasonable to suggest that uh, the issue of mandatory vaccination should be, should at least be considered. So you wouldn't be you would be okay with staff having to be vaccinated. Yes, I mean there may be some staff, obviously, you know, by virtue of you know underlying conditions or yeah. you know other complications that may not be in a position to be vaccinated. Uh, but but you know, from a national Ireland point of view, you know, given what we have been through as a society given what we've been through as a health service and particularly given what we've been through in the nursing home sector with the, the high level of mortality, 
uh, I, I, my, my view and, and the view of the organisation in Nottingham's Ireland is that all of these things need to be considered mm. uh, as, as an appropriate measures uh, to deal with the, the ongoing risk of COVID. And this, of course, is accepting that there are that very small proportion, and it is a small proportion of people who cannot get vaccinated. That's taking those people into account. What about visitors, Tyke? Do they presently have to be vaccinated, or do you think they should need to be vaccinated? Yeah, no, they don't have to be, uh, but I suppose the rules around visitors who have uh, have been vaccinated are, are, I suppose, less prescriptive than those who haven't been vaccinated, let's put it that way. So the visiting guidance that was issued uh, last week is now valid or effective, rather, from next Monday the 19th. And that's a very welcome development because what it is, it's a, it's a move to more, or I suppose, to less restrictive visiting arrangements. So uh, if, 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 for example, you are vaccinated and if you're visiting a resident who is vaccinated, you, you don't need to wear a mask, for example. But if, you aren't, if you're not vaccinated, you still be required to wear a mask. Um, so routine visiting uh, will no longer need to be scheduled. Uh, so what we're moving now to in the nursing home sector, I suppose, is a more normalised uh, visiting arrangements. You know, and there may be local arrangements as well if there's a high variant or a high incidence, for example, of Delta in a community. You know, it, it may mean some, some more restrictions, but uh, definitely we are moving in the right direction. And that's as a result of the the effectiveness of the vaccination program, no doubt. How do you feel about the all too common argument now? Well, it's on some elements of social media. I don't know if it's actually out there in the general public, but the argument that this is segregation of people. How do you feel about that? Well, I mean, ultimately, we all have a responsibility. Uh, you know, we are in the midst of a global pandemic. You know, thankfully, I, I've I've only witnessed one, and I hope I'll never have to witness one again. And I think that would be the same with most people. So I, I think the, the normal rules don't necessarily apply in, in, in the teeth of a global pandemic. Um, so I think it's not unreasonable to ask somebody to wear a mask, for example, if they're coming into particularly a high-risk setting like a, like a healthcare setting. Um, uh, the issue of vaccination, obviously the challenge has been heretofore. Uh, getting the vaccination as quickly as possible. You know, clearly I think we're over 5 million vaccines now at this point in time. Uh, you know, we're moving into a more, as I say, a more normalised position. So things are definitely going in the right direction, but we still need to be vigilant. And mm. we need to be super vigilant in, in, in our sector, in, in, in health generally, and in, in particular in nursing homes. Lastly, Tyke, when all this is over, and, and over we hope it will be and soon, mm. Questions will have to be asked, won't they, about what, what, what went horribly wrong at the start when we had just a huge level of mortality in the nursing homes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, PJ, it has been hugely traumatic um, for, for many, many families and indeed for, for staff in nursing homes. Uh, nursing homes definitely bore the brunt of it at the, at the first wave of the pandemic. Uh, and I think it will be appropriate and opportune at some stage to have a, an appropriate look back at everything that happened in COVID. Um, so that we can learn the lessons and prepare and ourselves. inquiry or better, maybe? Uh, possibly, but I think, it, you know, some, some people would suggest that, you know, there needs to be a focused inquiry on health or on aviation or on hospitality. I, I think in my mind that it needs to be, you know, looking at the, the preparations as a country for COVID. Uh, you know, how could we do things differently? And, you know, how can we prepare for any future pandemics? Because uh, if you listen to the, WHO, the, the World Health Organization, you know, there is this view that there, there may be more to come. Uh, 
Um, now that's uh, maybe not a, a positive uh, note to end our conversation this morning, but I do think we, well, it's we, we have to. We have to be realistic about tying. We, we, you know, we do, uh, and, and that's why I suppose it's important to, that we have a look back definitely and say, well, what would how would what different what would we do differently if we were facing a similar situation again? And look, we are all learning every day of the week. But I think what we need to avoid is a, is a finger-pointing exercise. You know, ultimately, everybody did their best, I would suggest. Everybody worked hard, whether it was in Neffet or whether it was in nursing homes or whether it was in, uh, in society in general. Uh, but what we do need to do is obviously learn the lessons. All right. Thank you very much, as always, Ty Daly from Nursing Homes Ireland. 1850-715-996. Not mandatory just yet, but likely to be made mandatory that staff in nursing homes will, will have to be vaccinated, except for, we've got to accept it. We must accept that there will always be that small cohort in society that cannot be vaccinated. This is where you get the whole herd immunity science. If enough of us that can be are, then science tells us it will protect those who can't be. 1850 715 996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, always keeping me on me toes. The inimitable Fergal Barry reminds me herd immunity is not just about those who can't be uh, vaccinated, and there's a few of those. It, it also helps those who, even though they are vaccinated, their immunity isn't as strong as the rest of us, because some people don't generate a strong immunity. And we've had John Campbell on about that, uh, saying that more than once. Some people don't generate a very strong immunity. Uh, the rest of us do. So herd immunity protects them as well. Thank you for that, Fergal, as always. 1850-715-996. I also found that thing that Erin was telling us about before the 11 o'clock news. This is Erin from the Eating Disorder Centre in Cork. She was referring to a way that we can perhaps spot a loved one who isn't doing so well and a loved one who may be, may be teetering on the edge of an eating disorder and the signs that we might look out for because they are there. And I found it. It's on the beating eateingdisorders.org.uk website and it's lips are they obsessive about their food flips is their behaviour changing hips do they have distorted beliefs about their body size skips have they started exercising excessively nips do they disappear to the toilet after meals and kips are they often very tired or struggling to Concentrate, And if you're worried about someone, you can get in touch with or talk to them or encourage them to get in touch with their GP or whatever. But the website is beateatingdisorders.org.uk for more information. Thank you for that, Aaron. Loads of stuff, loads of really good resources out there. Speaking of resources of a more musical nature, don't forget all our festival stars are back this year, back in your back garden with Cork's 96FM's Back Garden Festival, streaming exclusively online on our app or on the website with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. Open up the phone app 
look down to the Back Garden Festival and there it is. Or else it's on 96fm.ie. Someone just tweeted, I can't believe people would ask a question this silly. Why does my vast vaccine pass say Republic of Ireland? Why? Ah, because it's an EU pass. And the North of Ireland, did you miss the news? The North of Ireland isn't in the EU anymore. Sometimes I wonder why I bother getting up in the morning. 1850... 1850-715-996. Loads of people started businesses during lockdown. They did it out of boredom. They did it out of needing to, as the, the word became, I hate the word, but they did it as a need to pivot. They did it to see, could they actually do it? They did it because they had lost their existing job or their hours were cut to bits and they had to do something for themselves. For some of them it took off, for some of them it didn't. Vivian uh, owns a new company called Prickly Plants. Hey Viv. Hi PJ, how are things? Good. Tell me the story of Prickly Plants. You sell cactuses. Cacti, indeed. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I used to only sell cacti um, and succulents, and I'm actually currently growing some in my glass house, but I've expanded to more exotic uh, indoor plants, let's say. Where did it all come from? It all came from, do you know what? I always had a massive passion for business and I think it really expressed itself like early when I was a really young student in boarding school in Dingle of all places and this business inclination you know it followed me to college it followed me everywhere Um, and then during lockdown I began to recognize the nature uh, the plants in the garden and I said hey these are actually kind of cool <laughs> and I began to recognize you know not everybody is so lucky to to live on a farm to be around this all the time and I wanted to give that chance to others and um that's where the indoor plants came from mm. then funnily enough I was up in Ikea and I said these are kind of trendy brought a few home and that's where prickly plants really bloomed <laughs> yeah. yeah like what is the the attraction of that particular kind, succulents as you call them, or cacti, is it that, and this is just my own experience, mm-hmm. <laughs> they last forever and you don't need to do a whole lot with them. Exactly, they're extremely low maintenance. I water my guys only once every two weeks, so you're looking at watering them twice a month. You leave them on a windowsill and I say this unofficially, but they thrive off neglect. <laughs> they they <laughs> almost do, you know, because I suppose if they're native to the desert, they're not exactly getting much love and tenderness out there, do you know? Yeah. Exactly, and that's where they do the best. <laughs> so you kind of need to forget about them. So right? you set the business. I, I'm, what I might do someday, because they are very popular and loads of people have them, I might come back to you someday and talk a little bit about actually minding them. But how did you set the business up? Um, I set it up here just in, on my family's farm in North Cork, we, and I began trading just 10 months ago on Instagram, actually. I first began uh, making my own kind of 100% Irish pots I was crafting and colouring them uh, using Irish eco-fission cement and rainwater, actually, of all things. And I said, OK, I have all these pots and I have no plants. I should probably go about getting some plants. <laughs> so uh, I went ahead, did that, and fast forward 10 months to now, and as well as selling online, we've just opened our first 
shop or retail store in Waterfront Business Park in Little Island. And, um, yeah, absolutely delighted with the response from customers and the people, of course. Mm. Like, um, who knew there was such a demand for them? And you say that, briefly, you say say that setting up a business has, has taught you more than you ever learned in school. Yes, do you know you know yourself, PJ. There's nothing like a big dose of reality. <laughs> and the beginning of business was a reality. It was. It showed me what I meant to do, um, how I meant to sort my finances, how I meant to do this, how I meant to do that. And you know what? School set me up for that. School was the most important thing to me, and it gave me that drive, that ambition, that passion to say, hey, I actually want to make something of myself here. And that's where Klosh DE down in Dingle really helped. We were always doing um, competitions and um, choirs and stuff like that. And we always wanted something going on. And it's the same now, you know, uh, but really having a business has been really valuable to me in that mm. way, creating contacts. Would you come back to me someday and we'll talk a little bit more about the plants because they're, they're fascinating <laughs> and, and the treatment, like you said, they thrive on neglect, but there's probably more to it than that. Maybe we'll come back someday and have, have, a, have a little chat about it, but good luck with the business. Vivian, uh, Prickly Plants, I'm assuming you have a, way, a website or a Facebook page? We do indeed. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook, Prickly Plants. And um, our shop is down in Little Island. Little Island. Good, good, good to talk to you. And we will. We'll come back and have some fun with that someday because they're every, I mean, everywhere you go, you'll see a cactus in the corner of a kitchen, little small little yolk inside in the pot. And they'll sit there forever and just throw a sup of water into them now and again. They'll sit there forever smiling at you. Where I, I spent, I made three attempts this year to grow a flipping sunflower. And I threw my hat at it in the end. Now, maybe the cat getting into the pot and having a wee didn't help, but at the same time. Right, before we finish today, uh, Mick Barry TD, uh, Solidarity uh, TD for Cork North Central, has been back on the trail and back trying to help the workers at Cork Airport. Mick, when we spoke last week, I, I had certain uh, a certain take on this, and, and then I got an email uh, from a worker, an Aer Lingus worker, which kind of brought my, my way of thinking around uh, to, closer to, to yours they they have lost so much and all they're asking for is to be held on to officially on the books for another 10 weeks good morning good morning to you PJ and that's all they're asking for be held on to for another 10 weeks while the airport closes correct um, they have been kept on the books through you know a year and a quarter of a global pandemic and they're asking to be kept on for a further 10 weeks uh, while the runway repair work is being done. Um, unfortunately, yesterday, uh, we had uh, a government minister um, arriving in town with a good news package, and mm. it was all over the papers, $40 million for Cork Airports, an investment in the future uh, with the runway, and that is very positive news, and it's welcomed by all and sundry. But underneath the cover of that announcement... Uh, I think that there was, um, you know, I think the knife was taken out against the Aer Lingus workers because snuck into the announcement was we've engaged with the airlines. Unfortunately, they're not open to the suggestions that we've raised and therefore uh, it's a commercial decision for the airline. Do they know? Do you know what suggestion they raised? <laughs> well, they were asked to raise the suggestion that if we continue to pay you guys the EWSF, the Employment Wage Subsidy Scheme, uh, we want you guys to keep 
you know, a couple of hundred workers, cork workers here on the books for the 10 weeks that is closed because of the runway repairs. Um, the minister said, the junior minister said, she'd been knocked back by Aer Lingus and by other uh, airlines on that suggestion that it's a commercial decision. In other words, it's their decision alone. Uh, and we know that their position is that the workers are to be laid off uh, and, and have mm. to go and sign on the dole. I suppose it uh, is a commercial every- decision because it's a commercial company at the end of the day. It's a commercial company that wouldn't have its he- head above the water at the moment mm. if it wasn't for the assistance that has been given uh, by the state. Yes. Um, the state has given, uh, there's a, a €150 million euro loan uh, and, you know, the bulk of the wages have been paid by the taxpayer mm. uh, for the last uh, more than a year. And to be so fair, the person who emailed me last week, uh, Mick, made the point that just recently they went to get some dental work done, just the routine cleaning of their teeth and scale and polish that you're entitled to on their PRSI and found that they couldn't get it because their PRSI had been broken. So yeah. they are suffering in ways that I, I, I must confess I didn't, I didn't see. Yeah, that, that, that was a good letter, that. Um, and it's not just dental, uh, it's optical. Um, and, uh, you know, the pension arrangements will be, will be broken uh, if they're, if they're uh, out of work for a period of uh, 10 weeks uh, as well. And, of course, it's not just the Ilingus workers, because we, fi- we find out, uh, out now, I found out only yesterday, that OCS, which is the facilities company that does cleaning there, and if you're in a wheelchair... Their people help you get on the plane, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They also are letting their workers uh, go on temporary layoff for the yeah. ten weeks, rather than keeping them on the book. And that's at least another twenty-five workers in that company. So let's boil it down to the brass tacks here, because it's coming up close to twelve o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There are three senior government ministers in the airport constituency. Right. Their names are known to all of your listeners. They are Michal Martin TD, Simon Coveney TD and Michael McGrath TD. And the question for them today, a few days before the doll is due to close for summer recess, and they, uh, and they think that they're out the gap, the question for them, and I'd like them to be asked this in the next day or two, is what do you say to the hundreds of airport workers here in Cork who have a simple ask, they want to be kept on the books, you guys have got leverage, you can say to Aer Lingus, you can say to the other employers out there, we're paying, you know, the bulk of your wages and it's a condition of that mm. that you keep the workers on and the books. are you sure, Mick, finally, are you sure there is no legal hurdle to them doing that? Because commercial law is a complex document. Commercial law is a complex document. Um, where there's a will, there's a way. If the government are determined to use whatever influence they can to make sure that these workers are kept on the books. You know, whatever I might say about them, these guys are not stupid. They can find ways to do this. They can find ways to do that. They can find a way to keep these workers on the books for those 10 weeks. It's a simple ask. These workers have been put through the ringer for the last 15 months. They've had a dark cloud over their futures. They're worried about, you know, what's the story, even with mortgages, right? Those three politicians... All right, Deputies Coveney, Deputy Martin, and Deputy, who am I missing here, McGrath. McGrath. They're, they're in a position of power and influence here. 
what are they going to do? Okay. All right, leave it there for today. Thank you very much, Mick Barry, uh, Cork North Central TD for Solidarity, 1850-715-996. On vaccines, here's one, and I'm just assuming that it'll be the same situation, that you'll get it by letter or by email. Riddle me this, PJ. I was vaccinated by the ambulance service. Does that fall under the centres or the same situation as a GP? Well, to the best of our... We'll, we'll try to clarify these things as we go along. To the best of our knowledge, everyone, no matter where you were vaccinated, will either get a letter or an email, one or the other. If you're not satisfied after a couple of days, there will be the number for you to call. You need to make sure that the detail on the Vax Pass is the same as the detail on your passport if you want to travel all of that uh, but we'll get the as soon as the number is ready we'll let you know what it is and we'll see what questions we can ask and have asked and have answered over the coming days quick reminder to you the Cork 96 Men Best of Cork Awards are back for 2021 all the details this Friday right here on Cork's 96 FM. That's it for today. The programme edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Katie O'Keefe. And we see you tomorrow, just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.